You're listening to the Canadian Taxpayers Podcast, where we're committed to lower taxes, less waste, and more accountable government. My name is Franco Terrazano, and I'm the Alberta Director and Spokesperson for the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. And oh boy, am I ever looking forward to the conversation today because our guest is a giant in the world of politics and government finances. Joining our show is Dr. Ted Morton. You know, he was an MLA in Alberta from 2004 to 2012. And and during that time in government, he was Minister of Energy, Minister of Sustainable Resource Development, and also the Finance Minister. Um, You know, he has a new book. He's a co-author and co-editor of The Moment of Truth. Um, And also, very importantly, Ted also received a very prestigious Tax Fighter Award from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation back in 2018. So I think it's safe to say that Ted knows a thing or two about a thing or two. And with that, Ted, thanks so much for joining the show today. Thank you for inviting me, Franco. I'm not sure I'll be able to live up to that introduction, but I'll try. <laughs> well, let's get let's get right into it. So I have to start with all the news going on. You know, taxpayers are on the hook for a bunch of money in pipelines, Trans Mountain expansion, Keystone XL. We're hearing Biden is pulling the plug on, on Keystone. Um, now you used to be Alberta's energy minister. So what do you think is going on for Canada's energy industry? And what would you be recommending for uh, other energy ministers doing right now? Well, this is bad news for the United States and bad news for Canada. Uh, for the U.S., it means they're going to be more dependent on exported oil, imported oil from much less friendly, much less environmentally responsible, much less democratic governments, uh, OPEC, Saudi Arabia, Venezuela. So it's bad for the U.S., uh, but it's frankly worse for Canada. Uh, in the book that you just referenced, uh, one of the chapters is contributed by Derek Burney, Derek Burney is a, he's not from Alberta, so it's not, this isn't a, just an Alberta view. He was a senior civil servant in Ottawa. He was Canada's ambassador to the United States for four years in the 1980s in the Mulroney government. And in the chapter in our book, he wrote, he said, for Alberta to have an economic future, it must have economically competitive access to global markets and global prices for our oil and gas. And that's for an economic future. So there's a lot on the line here and we'll see what happens in the U.S. But uh, if we can't, I mean, and the irony of course, tens of thousands of miles of pipeline were built in the United States during the Obama administration, right? Uh, But if we can't get that uh, pipeline built, uh, Ottawa, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Regina, we need to work together to get more pipelines built in Canada. Oh, I, I couldn't agree with that with that last point more. I mean, the, the way that I see it is uh, you want to solve one of the major issues here. Well, then our politicians in Ottawa just need to let job creators actually be able to build pipelines in Canada. But we do have to shift gear, gears here because this, this let, topic. Let, aren't... let me throw out one last fact to make sure all the readers know this. The world is gonna, going to continue to consume close to 100 million barrels a day, 100 million barrels a day. The world needs oil and gas, and Alberta has the third largest reserves in the world, third largest reserves in the world. So Alberta can continue to be a very, very prosperous region, and a strong Alberta means a strong Canada if we have that access to global markets and global prices. 
Absolutely. Because it's not just creating jobs, which are so crucial, but the oil and gas industry is also generating uh, billions of dollars in tax revenue for the federal government and for taxpayers all across the country. Now, now let's talk about that issue for a quick second, because in Alberta, one of the big things going on is, is the Fair Deal panel. They're doing a bunch of work to look at how Alberta can better protect itself and its taxpayers from the federal government. Um, but as you know, uh, this ish, these policy ideas, they're not new, right? They've been around for a long time. So um, do you think that we need a fair deal in Alberta? Do you think these issues are needed now more than ever? Well, in fact, as I think you know, uh, I was uh, advocated something, most of this package of reforms back in 2005, 2006. And uh, <clears throat> our inside joke has been our, our ideas were right, our timing just sucked. And unfortunately in politics, timing is important. But timing is important now. Alberta's at a, uh, a critical point uh, in our history. Uh, we've had 10 consecutive deficits in a row. Uh, our provincial uh, debt is approaching $100 billion. Some of the people listening today remember when we were debt-free, Ralph Klein, debt-free 2005, and now we're close to $100 billion a year. And at the same time, for the past decade, even with all the problems and the, 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 the deficits, we're still spending the last decade, 2010, 2019, an average of $20 billion a year left Alberta net to Ottawa to spend elsewhere. And so uh, now is the time to deal with this issue. Okay, let's, let's stay in Alberta here for just a quick second. Um, one of the key issues that is, that is really grinding our gears is, is equalization. And, and now equalization is a very complex program. You know, I don't think there's actually too many people out there that fully understand it, but I know that you're one of the people who does. So can you explain equalization for our listeners? And, and can you explain why you think it's important for Albertans to, to tackle the equalization program? As I mentioned, just mentioned, the net loss of Alberta in federal transfers, which isn't just equalization, there's also things called Canada Social Transfer, Canada Health Transfer, averaged $20 billion a year over the last uh, decade. And those are decades in which we are running deficits and running up the, 99, the $90 billion of debt that I just mentioned. Uh, equalization is an attempt to Say Canada has have provinces and have not provinces. They should all have roughly equal access to health and other social services. And so the government's going to redistribute money from the have provinces to the have not provinces so that all Canadians have a more or less equal service in terms of health and other social services. That's the theory, okay, that's the theory. In practice, it's been very political uh, Alberta hasn't gotten a dollar since the 1960s. In fact, if you do go back to the beginning, we're close over $600 billion, net, 600 billion, that's over half a, uh, half a trillion dollars net losers in equalization. And lo and behold, uh, Quebec, on the other hand, has collected, I think it's 497 billion over that same decade. And so whatever the purpose of equalization is, it's turned into something else. It's a way of basically moving money from the West to the East and specifically from Alberta to Quebec. And um, that's not what it was intended to do. That's what it's become. And I think it's time to say enough is enough. And one of the, one of the issues I think coming up on the 
proposed referendums is should equalization be abolished? Let's let's I'm glad you brought that up because that equalization referendum, Alberta listeners, mark your calendars. It's scheduled for October 18th of this year. And it's something that the CTF is going to be uh, playing a big part in. Um, now, Dr. Morton, I know you've wrote on the equalization referendum a lot and its importance for Alberta, but there's some naysayers out there who, who say like, oh, you know, it's just a waste of time. It's just a waste of money to be having this referendum. So what would you say to those naysayers? I'd go back to the points that we've already already discussed that we're at a critical point in Alberta's history. Uh, structural deficits, uh, approaching $100 billion worth of net debt, uh, a critical pipeline. Another pipeline has just apparently been, been canceled. Uh, we need a very frank and tough discussion um, about Alberta's future. And the equalization referendum would give us that opportunity. Uh, there's a Supreme Court decision uh, dealing with Quebec, of course, what else, uh, that if a, if a province has a, has a referendum on a constitutional reform and there's a clear majority on a clear question, so clear majority, clear question, then that triggers a duty to negotiate. Those are the Supreme Court's words, duty to negotiate on the part of Ottawa and the federal government. So I don't know what the question will be in October. I hope it'll be very simple. I hope it is just, should section 36 equalization program be abolished, question mark? Yes or no? And if there's a clear majority on a clear question, and I think if Albertans know are familiar or made to be familiar with the numbers I've mentioned to you, I'd be surprised if we didn't get 80% approval. And that then triggers, it forces everybody to come to the table and have a frank discussion about Alberta's future. Uh, in the book that we've, we've referenced, basically our economy and our constitution are completely out of sync. We have an 18th century, excuse me, a 19th century constitution, which features Quebec and Ontario, and now a 21st century economy in which the West, BC, Alberta, and increasingly Saskatchewan are equal and major contributors. But whether it's in the House of Commons, in the Senate, on the Supreme Court, we have no voice or, or no meaningful voice in the formulation of policy uh, in Ottawa. And that explains the deficits, the debts, the transfers we're talking about. So an equalization referendum uh, is a way to force the issue onto the agenda, particularly as we get past um, the COVID pandemic and have to deal with the economic fallout that all of Canada is facing, but especially acute for Alberta. Okay, let's say, let's pretend that you were Premier of Alberta and it's the day after that we win the equalization referendum. You now have a mandate to push the province and the feds to the negotiating table. So what kind of change would you be pushing for? Well, you, there, there are technical changes that could be made. Uh, one of the things that's included in the equalization formula to decide who's a have not or who's a have are our resource revenues. In the beginning, resource revenues weren't included. They're not part of a normal uh, set of revenues for uh, a, uh, a province. The sale of oil and gas is a one-time sale. It doesn't, it's not year over year the way personal income tax or sales tax or corporate tax is. So it should not be in the formula. That'd be one modest, modest uh, reform. Another would be, it's about fiscal capacity. What, what are the, different provinces fiscal capacity in order to uh, 
figure out the uh, what equalization payments should be. It, it ignores completely the cost of delivering those services. Everybody listening knows that the cost of, of, of living uh, in Alberta is more expensive than most other provinces. Housing is expensive, um, all, all sorts of other expenses. And so that's not even considered. But my, my preferred proposal would be simply to, would be to continue with abolition. The, uh, there are two other programs I've mentioned, uh, the Canada Social Transfer and the Canada Health Transfer, which are other programs that the federal government takes and distributes money uh, to provinces to assist provinces. Why do we have a third national program that does that equalization? I don't think we need it. And I think a chance to uh, get rid of that and focus on the other two, the other two policies. Well, let's step outside Alberta for a second here. Now, before we restart, uh, before we started recording, you were telling me about Quebec's generation fund. Now, I had never heard of that before. And so I was just hoping that you could explain what that is to our listeners. Well, you'd never heard of it before. I've been talking about these issues for 20 years, right? I'd never heard of it before until two weeks ago. And it turns out in 2006, Quebec started something called a generations fund, which now has, I think it's $11.6 billion in it to help pay for future debt, okay? So all of these years when Quebec uh, has been receiving significant transfers uh, through equalization plus the other, other programs, billions and billions of dollars a year, and Alberta's been losing that, losing that, they've been tucking some of that away in this generations fund. Now, again, most Alberta listeners will remember, there has a, we have the Heritage Fund, right? When's the last time a government of Alberta made a deposit in the Heritage Fund? It was Ralph Klein in 2005. I was there. So we haven't, we haven't had any of the extra money, including resource revenues, to put in the Heritage Fund, in part because of equalization of the transfers. And now we find out, I mean, again, it's embarrassing for me to find this out. Quebec has this, their own Heritage Fund. They call it the Generations Fund where they've tucked away $11.6 billion in the last uh, 14 years. I mean, it's not, it's a bit of a stretch, but not completely to say that money basically is kind of moved from Alberta to Ottawa and then on to Quebec City. And again, that's not fair, that's not right. It has to be put on the table and discussed. And, you know, we've been talking about this fundamental unfairness, and I think it's easy to, to understand how it's unfair for the provinces and the taxpayers in those provinces who are paying into the equalization program, but aren't receiving the tax dollars back, right? But you've also talked about how equalization can also be problematic for the provinces who are receiving the money. Um, now, that's a little bit counterintuitive. So, so can you explain that? The best again, example is, again, Quebec. Um, in 1970, Quebec was getting something like $300 million a year in, uh, in equalization payments. By the early 1980s, it was getting $2.5 billion a year. So from two or $300 million to $2.5 or $3 billion in one decade, what happened? Well, the PQ, the party, the separatists came to power. They brought in the they, they made it impossible to speak English. They raised taxes. They increased social programs. Business left. Montreal used to be the 
Canadian corporate headquarters, the big, largest number of head offices in Canada were in, were in Montreal. They all left. And the more they left, Quebec's fiscal capacity goes down. And the more they left, the more Quebec got because it became a have-not province and it benefited. Then there are more current examples. Are, Quebec has big natural gas reserves. They won't develop those natural gas reserves because they would uh, then decrease the amount of equalization they get. So it's, it, 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 in a weird way, it, it, it even hurts the people, the provinces who are get it. I guess last but not least, uh, if you have high social services and high cost, we're paying people to stay in Quebec and in Atlantic Canada, where they're not the same job opportunities, where if, if, if they didn't have those programs, they could come to out west uh, BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, where we have for the last, well, until the last couple of years, we needed more workers. So we should be sending workers to where their jobs instead of sending money to where there are no jobs. Yeah, and on that point, I mean, one of the issues that Albertans know all too well is that through equalization, we are directly subsidizing politicians that are intent on roadblocking our development. Now, let's take a quick step and look out internationally, because I've, I've heard you speak about how, you know, there's other countries that have these similar regional grievances. So can you, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, this just came to my attention uh, last year, and it's developed by uh, Dr. Jack Mintz, who's one of the co-editors of the book that we've just published and that, which you referenced. And Jack, looked, Jack found the same similar patterns in the politics of both Italy and Spain, where you have regions uh, in Spain, it's Barcelona, uh, that corner of Spain, um, Catalonia, I think it's called. In Italy, it's... Uh, up around Milano, uh, the north, the northern regions, they are resource rich but voter poor. They have fewer, they're a wealthier area, those are wealthier areas than the rest of the country, but they have fewer voters. So the left of center parties have figured out a fairly simple formula, um, endorse, endorse public policies that move money from the resource rich but voter poor regions to the voter rich but resource poor reasons. And uh, if that sounds vaguely familiar to Albertans, uh, yes, 1980, Keith Davey, the campaign manager for Pierre Trudeau, what did he say about the, the strategy for the Liberals in 1980? Screw the West, we'll take the rest, right? And that's what the, that's what the NEP did. It moved money from Alberta, or the West to the East, from a resource-rich voter poor areas back to where there were many more voters, but no oil and gas. So there's a very uh, depressing parallel there. And I would simply point out again to listeners that the voters in, uh, in Lombardy and in Italy and Catalonia, they've had referendums, they have separatist parties there, they're fighting back. And I think part of the, the, the gist of the book that we just published is uh, Alberta has to fight back too, because the beneficiaries of the status quo are not gonna change it voluntarily. Just asking for a fair deal. Why would the people who are benefiting from the unfair deal wanna change it? You gotta, it, it's, it's time to, to force the issue. And I think the referendums that are proposed uh, start that process. 
Yeah. I mean, if you're going through a bad relationship, if, if your marriage is, is having some difficulties, the best thing that you, you can do is you got to sit down, you have to have a discussion and you have to try to move in, in the best direction. And, and, you know, I, we see this equalization referendum as being one of the crucial first steps in our fight for fairness. Now let's talk about some of these tensions. You're, 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 you're too young to know about marital difficulties. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, but the analogy is probably, the analogy may be a good one. <laughs> well, let's let's keep talking about um, some of the historical tensions in Canada, right? Because this isn't the first time that we've had um, well, let's let's call them disagreements. So, how do today's tensions um, compare to those of the past with with Quebec um, or even with Alberta versus Ottawa when when Trudeau Senior imposed the national energy program? Well, as far as Quebec goes. Their separatist movement has been based on cultural survival and linguistic survival, right? Or at least that's the argument. Uh, I think ours has come down to, for the reasons I've given already, economic survival. Uh, another five years, like the last five years, uh, if we stay on the course we're on right now, uh, Alberta's can become the next Manitoba. Uh, Edmonton and Calgary will become like Winnipeg uh, once proud, vital cities that the economy is left behind. Uh, I go back to Derek Burney. We need, uh, Alberta needs uh, competitive, economically competitive access to global markets at global prices for oil and gas. And it's, that's what's needed. Well, let's, let's, let's stay there for just one, one more quick question. Um, so what do you think then is, is the best step forward for, for Alberta and for Canada? Well, the frank discussion on the issue, on the issues we've had, um, I always go back to Peter Lougheed, who had the, the, the bare knuckle fight with uh, Pierre Trudeau uh, back in the 1980s. And uh, there are two quotations that come to mind. He, he said to Albertans, he said, where do you want these decisions to be made? You want them to be made in Edmonton with people who know you, who are your neighbors, and whom you've elected and who you can unelect if you don't like them? Or do you want them made in Ottawa where uh, Alberta, not just Alberta, the entire West is completely underrepresented? I mean, uh, Ontario and Quebec have 199 MPs with a majority, you have a majority in parliament with 170. You don't need a single vote. You don't need a single vote from Western Canada. And in 1980, Trudeau didn't get one. Didn't matter. Screw the West, we'll take the rest. That's what happened. And to a certain extent, I think it's happening again. And that's why it's important that these referendums, equalization by itself won't change everything, but it's, uh, it's, it puts the, one of the issues on the table for a frank, blunt, serious discussion about Alberta's future. Uh, the other quotation, of course, is um, a strong and prosperous Alberta uh, means a strong and prosperous, prosperous Canada. And uh, I believe that my co-authors of the book believe that. And I think we need to get that message out to the rest of Canada as well. 
Well, I think that is a very fitting way to end our conversation about fiscal federalism. But before I let you go, Ted, um, I want to end in a bit of a, a lighter way. Now, you were in politics. You, you were a finance minister for a while. So I'm sure when you're in politics, you had to go toe to toe with the CTF every now and then. Um, I'm wondering if you have any good stories to, to, to share with our listeners of you maybe battling it out with um, former Alberta director and now CEO of the yeah. Canadian Taxpayers Federation, Scott Hennig. Well, Scott, I remember Scott quite well. I, I don't think I had him as a student. I, 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 I don't think I had him as a student, but uh, he, he, he did come into my office uh, several times, uh, including when I was Minister of Finance. And uh, my, recollection, my two recollections are, one, I was criticizing him for being soft on some other tax issue, and then... Uh, his, his comeback was, he said, well, you're, you're the only finance minister I've ever had to meet with that's been a member of the CTF for over 20 years. So uh, we, had, we had a fun discussion. Well, I'm going to have to bug him about that because I don't think I've ever heard anyone describe Scott as being soft on taxes. So I'm definitely going to bug him next time uh, we have the call. But let's end on that. Ted, thank you so much for joining the Canadian Taxpayers Podcast today. Thank you, Franco, and keep up the good work. Well, thank you. And to our listeners, you should definitely go check out Ted's uh, book where he was a co-author with some many great academics. It's called The Moment of Truth. And, and really, it's an important read for all Canadians. Um, now, for our Alberta listeners out there, I just want to remind you of the equalization referendum date. Mark it in your schedules. It's October 18th of this year. And it really is our clear chance to send uh Premier, or Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and the rest of Canada, a clear message that we want equalization, fairness, and the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, we're going to be a play a big part in that referendum. You can go check out our website at fightequalization.ca. Please share it with your friends and family. We also have a Facebook group that you're going to want to check out. It's Albertans Against Equalization. Now, we'll include all of those links in the show notes to make it easier for you. And for all of our listeners out there, thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Hi, I'm Scott Hennig, President of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. If you've got another minute, I'd like to ask you to think about the one person you know that would really enjoy listening to this podcast. Do us a favor and do them a favor and send them a quick note to let them know about it. At the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, we believe there is power in numbers. That's why we've worked so hard to build an army of taxpayers who are ready to push back. And we did it because people like you shared our work with that one person that they knew would really appreciate taking part. Thanks for listening. And thanks for doing your part to make Canada a better place.